How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Relic History Unearthed, and uh, we're here in the studio slash podcast room. Got Rachel with us today. What up? Yo. And uh, we've got kind of a uh, kind of an important topic to talk about today, and kind of serious, kind of not. We're going to have some fun with it, but uh, we're really going to double into a little bit about being a beginning collector. Um. Everybody out there listening has their own way that they got into this hobby. And a lot of times it's generational. Grandpa did it, uncle did it, dad did it, and here we sit, we're doing it now. And it's an amazing way to get into the hobby, but there is that group out there that come by it non-organically. You know, they were uh, they're history nuts, or they saw somebody doing it, they saw something, and, and or they found one in a dirt pile, and they just got the wheels are going. So we're really going to talk about that. We're going to talk about getting into the hobby, the pros and the cons, what you should and should not do. And then we're also going to uh, talk a little bit uh, into good, bad information. And I'm going to give you some tips of the trade, I guess you say, some of my little personal tidbits and secrets about how to acquire permission, how to go about doing it respectfully, and um, to make sure that you're doing this in the way that the law allows. So I think it's going to be a good episode. I'm excited, Bo. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The, uh, the no's and don'ts, if you will. The no's and don'ts? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so to start off, um, there, there's a kind of four uh, points here that we're going to make. And the first one is going to be the legality, the federal and the state legality and how to go about that. And, and to get that information, where you can and cannot hunt, and, and the rules that need to be followed there. Then we're going to talk about uh, how to gather permission. That's kind of key. Permission is always going to be needed on anything. And then uh, third, we're going to talk about um, the gathering of information. Where is good information? Where is bad information? Where are the resources that you need to further your education and to make you a stronger collector and a more uh, pr proficient collector. Then we're going to talk about curating. Go into curation of rocks, how do you display, how you take care of, how do you identify all that good stuff that goes into collecting because that's what we're all doing here is we're all gatherer of knowledge. So I, th I think um, to kind of start in on the legality, all right, we talked about this on other podcasts that we've done, and I know the podcasts are getting going to get shuffled up here. So where they lay in the in the podcast realm, we'll find out. But legality is the first thing you need to find. All right, now there are places that you can hunt and be completely okay with, and then there are the big no nos, and there are state and federal no nos. So. Uh, it's going to change a little bit state to state, but we're going to start off talking about federally. Where are we at federally? Um, in the United States, you are allowed to hunt, gather, and collect Native American relics, okay, on a federal level. You are not allowed to do it on federal property of any sort, any sort. It is off limits. Don't do it. It is go to jail, don't pass go, don't collect $200. It is a one-way shot, and the penalties associated with it are extreme. And this includes things like federal parks, uh, federally protected areas. It even 
uh, areas of, you know, large, vast lands or, or uh, groups of land that nothing's going on there, but it's owned by the federal government. Big no-nos. And so we want to stay away from that for sure. Then when you get to uh, other things federally, uh, the desecration or uh, the disturbance of any type of remains or anything of historical Native American significance. Those are so off-limits and, and highly disrespectful, and you'll get due punishment, as you should. I mean, if you're not a trained archaeologist, um, uh, there, there's no reason for it at all. Just, uh, just messing it up for everybody else. Huh? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the comment that we've made a hundred times before is anything that we do needs to be highly respectful of all the entities involved because like the past who set this up for us, we have to set it up for the future, so mm-hmm. past, present, and future. What we're doing now is in the present, but what we do will affect the future. We're preserving the understanding of the past while also preserving the right to be able to continue it in the future. Correct. You that you you nailed it. That is the perfect way to put it. And we don't want to do anything that would change that right on a state or a federal level. And those that can happen quickly. It, I think they they find a bunch of yeah, people messing with mm-hmm. I mean it, it it goes fast. I mean and it disrespecting. Yeah, and we're dealing with that a lot uh with some cases right now that are um, in front of, you know, uh, the courts federally. And because of actions of the, you know, that one bad apple or those few bad apples, it's affecting everybody as a whole. So, you know, I, I wish I could say that, you know, this hobbies will always be protected and, and, and a right that we have here in the United States, but that's not always true. You know, it, it might come to the point that, Federally, we can't hunt these. If people continue to disrespect the past, you're going to ruin it for the future. Mm-hmm. And um, you're seeing uh, some of the effects of that uh, happening right now, and we can talk about that a little later. That's going to uh, that, well, that's a whole episode, I think. Th- I actually <laughs> got an episode planned where we are talking about uh, uh, some of that with some museum curators and things. And so we really just we'll dabble in that real deep. Now, the one place where legally it can get confusing is going to be on the state level, okay? Federally is one thing. That affects everybody. State-wise, it's going to change state to state to state to state. Some states are very liberal with their laws, and state some states are going to be very conservative with their laws. Um, areas that you can't hunt are going to be state property. That's nationwide. Any state property is off-limit. Um, here in Kentucky, it could be... Uh, the state property that borders the DB, it could be anything of that nature, any preserves, and it also can includes things like WMAs that are leased property of the state. Uh, you would think that, you know, there's a big WMA dove field over here that's public land to everybody, but it is considered a state leased property. So it's a big no-no. And then there are things uh, like the hunting of creeks, in some states, that is considered state land because anybody of water that flows into a state-owned water source is state land. Now, they don't own the ground under it, but they own the water that you're on. 
So, I mean, they're, they're, it, it can get real blurry on a state level. Don't get caught in the loophole without doing your research. Yeah, exactly. Uh, for those that, you know, guys that are scratching around in fields and stuff like that, that's even more convoluted because, you know, a, a state like Indiana, it doesn't matter if it's private land. If you put a shovel in the ground with the intent of discovering Native American relics, it is a felony. Uh, you see that with cases like our, um, uh, like with Art Gerber, rest in peace, uh, Art Gerber. There, you know, we all know about the GE mound case and and uh, the court battle that went on with that, and then his imprisonment. So, on a state level, that can be a little convoluted, and it's going to be really uh, hard to find. And so, where do you find the information on state laws? An internet hunt is going to find it. Uh, you know, Kentucky's laws are a little we, – we have what's called KSPs, which are the state laws, Kentucky um, laws. And uh, going through those and doing road hunts in that. And then the other one is talking to somebody, um, a local archaeologist, of all people, a game warden. Uh, in some states oh. – yeah, in some states, um, the laws that surround Native American relics are – enforced by the game service. So uh, it just really depends on where you're at. But again, do your homework. Get out there. Do the, some research. Find out your local laws, and then re be respectful. For the most part, no matter where you're at, if you're on private land and you, and, and you have legal permission to be there, in disturbed soil, you're allowed to hunt rocks, okay, or relics, and um, you 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 can get permission very easily, and that that's kind of my segue into the next part is permission. Some farmers don't give a damn about relic hunters. You know, got tobacco fields, corn fields, bean fields, whatever it might be, they don't give a damn, and people just walk it without asking and. I am a firm believer that developing a friendship or a relationship with the farmer is not only going to help you get further permission, it's also going to protect and help the people who come behind you because we're not going to be here forever. You know, we, we're going to be here for a short amount of time, and that farmer might still own that farm. And if somebody's got out there and tore up the guy's property or hunted without permission and pissed him off or her off, well, you just ruined it for everybody else coming behind you. I know in this in this hobby that a lot of people kind of get really secretive about their sites and, and, you know, get mad when somebody else is hunting a field. And I understand and respect that because you've got that personal connection with that area. But if you get out there and screw it up for somebody else, you know, it might not be in your lifetime. It might be your next the next person that's coming behind you in 40 years. But if you screwed that up for them, it takes one bad time. That's it. The, bar, the farmer has to have one bad experience, and then it's over for everybody else. So how do you go about permission? And uh, Rachel seen this just the other day. Mm -hmm. Is uh, We're driving down the road, farm I've hunted in the past, couldn't remember the farmer's name. I'd always ask for permission. I called a local uh, farmer that I knew, and I said, who owns this farm? And he gave me the guy's name, and, and uh, the way I got permission before – and this is is that same farmer that I called actually 
um, had asked the farmer for me without me even knowing and called and said, I got a farm you can hunt. And so because I had established such a good relationship with that farmer or that owner of that property, he actually found me another piece of land to hunt. And so what were we doing? Going down the road, pulled over, put in a phone call, got permission instantly. Took three minutes. Jumped right out, yeah. Yeah, pulled over, pulled right into the field. Easy as could be, and nobody had to worry about getting shot. Yeah, I mean, it's nice. <laughs> That's a win-win. Win-win. <laughs> and, um, you know, the the guys we were with, they were like, is that the is that the farmer? And I just looked down and said, I don't give a damn if it is or not. We got permission. You know, you no longer, you 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 don't have that cloud following you as you're trying to have a good time. You know, it's one thing to just want to go find them and, and doing it for whatever reason. It's another one to go out there, have a good time, not be stressed, not be looking over your back. So, dabble a little deeper in how I actually go about acquiring permission. One of the ways that I find farms I want to hunt is, well, satellite. I use Google Earth. And I'll go through a county on Google Earth or a road that I went down, and I will look for a piece of property. And a lot of times you can see if they've been plowed or not. Then I will find out, I, I mean, I've been known to follow the tractor fields in the grass on Google Earth to where they go back to the farm or the house. And then I'm like, okay, that's where I go ask permission. Yeah. And then go to that house. And the one thing is you cannot be shy. Okay. You cannot be shy, and you have to knock on the door. I've been answered at the door with a pistol. I've been answered at the door with a guy with a dog. What I do is I knock on the door, and I step back 15 feet. I step away from the door so I'm not a threat. The, and a lot of times it's a lady that will answer the door, and she'll be like, can I help you? And first thing I say is, hey, my name's Bo Spicer. Um, I live, you know, in the county. And I see you have a field over here. I was wondering if it's yours. And they'll say, yeah, that's my field. I say, well, you know, I'm out here, um, got a few hours to myself. I was wondering if you mind if I would walk it for relics. I'm more than happy to show you what I found and start a conversation. And there's a lot of times um, where, you know, me and Rachel are in landscaping and, and into garden centers. You can easily say, man, those are some pretty roses. And then you find a common interest and run with it. Uh, and I'm, I'm not shameful about it, but I have been known to say, hey, I'm Bo Spicer. I own garden centers in the county. Um, you ever been over to Louis Flower Power? Yeah, well, that's me. And I, I just, I want to escape for a little bit. You care if I go hunt your field? Well, you're letting, you're letting them know who you are. Why you're there? Where they can find that, me, and that you're a person. Yeah, yeah, and that and how to find you. Yeah, and that's in the day of the internet. That's not a hard thing if you no. give three bits of information about yourself. No. Put put on a. There's there's no worry. There's you know? no worry. You want to be more forward and honest. Just upfront. Upfront, and um, then I'll say if they say yes, I'll say, "Can I drive in the field, or would you like me park at the road? You want me to walk from your driveway? Where's a good?" Don't just assume that you can go drive through their damn field. This is mine now. Yeah, it could be a hay field that has winter hay, uh, winter weed in it. It could be something, you know, a uh, uh, a clover field that they're growing out that they don't want you driving in. And if they say no, you can drive through the field. Always follow the tractor tires. 
always follow. <laughs> Jesus, Rachel. <laughs> uh, but always follow the tractor tires or the road or whatever the path is into there. Uh, always follow it. Don't go cutting beelines. You, you, you don't want to do that. And um, uh, if there is, you know, grandkids or something, a lot of times in the summer the grandkids will be the grandparents or the dad or the mom. If I find something or if I have something in the truck that I found in the day before, they don't know if you found it that day or not. It could be just a broken piece that you have shoved in the back of the truck or in the, in my case, in the dang cup holder. <laughs> I'll give it to the kids. Be like, hey, you want an arrowhead? Here's a kid. Uh, here's here here's one for the kid. And so you're showing that, hey, I'm a nice guy, nice girl, and I'm, I'm just out here having fun, and I'm going to respect you, respect your property, respect your wishes, and and go from there. The the big thing though, I, I I've been told no, not many times, maybe five or six times in my life I've been told no, is don't get mad, don't get upset, but continue the conversation. Is to say they say, No, you know, we had a guy that hunts this and we told him we wouldn't let anybody else on it be like, Well, I greatly appreciate you know you let me show the opportunity just to stand here and talk to you. Um, I hope I hope it he's doing real good and and hey, this landscape looks amazing. What are you doing about it or doing to it? And and they might want to step out and continue the conversation, even though you are not getting the permission you want. Further down the road, you might. Yeah, and, and you're, you're build, building that relationship, yeah. or they can now vouch if you go somewhere else. Yeah. You can say, I talked to this, you know, this guy up the road, but he's got somebody else hunting it. I, I, I respect that. Mm-hmm. I respect their relationship. But, you know, I'm, I'm looking to, to do this. And they say, it, it, small people talk. Yeah, exactly. But he, they're going to say, oh, yeah, we talked. If you're like, hey, that guy was an asshole, they'll be like, I'm not going to let you yeah, hunt. Yeah, I'm not letting him hunt. They'll be like, oh, yeah, he was a nice guy. You know, we chatted for a minute. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'd already, I just, you know, kind of. Yeah, had had already promised this to somebody else, but he he seemed he seemed like a stand up guy. I'd be like, all right, I don't, I'm not worried about you being on my property. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. He says you never. You, it's kind of like landscaping when we're out there. You never lose focus that you are on somebody else's property. Mm-hmm. So a- always be respectful, like they're watching you. Yeah, and th- this is kind of a little trick of the trade that I do is when I'm done, if I see him out, I'll stop by, and it's kind of a shameless, and I'll do it one or two times, it's kind of a shameless little, hey, I'm showing you respect thing, but I pick up trash in the field, broken bottles, pop cans. You know, every farmer in 1973 threw his Pepsi can under the tractor tire as he was plowing tobacco. And so I'll pick them up, and I'll come out, you know, with a pocket full of trash, and I'll put it in a bag or something, and I'll be like, hey, I got this bag of trash I picked up out of the field, Where's your Herbie at? And I'll throw that away. But you're kind of throwing yourself out there and saying, hey, look, here's what I'm doing. You're establishing a respectful relationship. You're letting it be known that you're you're, you're thankful enough to be willing and, and willing. happy to mm-hmm. leave leave the place better than you found That's it. That's right. That's right. You, you're protecting not only your hunting but anybody else that wants to hunt. You might get butt hurt. And you might drive by one day, and there's some asshole hunting your field. But you know what? It doesn't matter. But to somebody else, Bo, you could be that asshole. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. 
There's a lot of people who say that. <laughs> Matter of fact, not in just this situation. <laughs> it's been said in this room before. <laughs> it's been said today. <laughs> but, you know, the thing is, is yeah, you might be upset that they're, they're hunting your special spot or something like that, but as long as they've asked permission, it's better that the relics are found than that tiller or that tractor or that plow going through there and breaking them into 500 pieces. If you are so short-sighted that you would rather the relics be destroyed than found, you don't need to be in the hobby as it is. I mean, you're, you're, you're an asshole level above me. <laughs> is there an award for that? or? Well, <laughs> I don't know if, if runner-up in, in the – AH awards are fine, <laughs> are considered or not, but uh, it's been a while since I've seen you run anywhere. To be fair, I run my mouth. <laughs> I run to the beer fridge. We run off topic. Yeah, run to the restaurant, the buffet line. <laughs> I do a lot of running, just not the physical kind. <laughs> so, but uh, if you've ever been. Relic hunting, which a lot of people here have. And, and I, we actually got some guys that are listening in the U.K. I saw we had uh, about 30 people who listened in the U.K. Oh, I'd love to hear Oh yeah, some of their stories yeah. and what it's like. And so, you know, they're, they, if you, if you want to hear the other end of what could happen, uh, look up mudlarking in the U.K. And, and, and mudlarking is when the River Thames goes up and down. You can go out there and hunt the banks or the shore. They call it the short shore. You can hunt it for everything. And what's neat is you find Victorian stuff, uh, Georgian stuff, Edward, Edward the what is it, second, whatever, through all those Tudor times. But then you also find Roman stuff. And so you're the same time periods of that we're talking about. You know, fifteen hundred, twenty five hundred years. Uh, of history in the shorelines, here's the kicker. In Great Britain, they only issue so many permits, and you have to have a permit to go mudlarking. Could you imagine that things getting so bad with Native American relic hunting that to go hunt your own field, you have to apply to the government to get a permit to legally go hunt something that is yours? With it, with a level of disrespect, it, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I mean, we're a lot bigger than they are, and there's a lot more ground to cover. But this is showing from one extreme to the other. It's something that could happen. Matter of fact, it has happened. Look over there. Where you need to, if you want to go hunt something, you've got to get a permit. Then the other side of that is if you find something that, they consider historically significant, you have to donate it. Now, you get a little bit of money back on it, and it's like I forget what the percentage is, and I'd love for somebody to, uh, to comment in um, and, and tell us what you actually get paid, but it's nowhere near what it's worth. Well, it, it, as you and I say every – you said for years, and I got that experience the other day, what you find is priceless. Mm-hmm. Now, if it's yeah, if it's really significant, I mean, why it, it's there's something to be said about donating it, let, yeah. letting other people enjoy it. But uh, the, that little broke one of those broke blades I found. One of my first yeah. things, I'm like, that's that's forever. Yeah, I'm, I'll throw. Yeah. I, I, I threw more. I broke 
broke blades back later in the day, but that first one. It's there forever. You're not prying it from me. No. <laughs> That's, there's no amount of, it's it's 70 cents worth of a, 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 a flaking. Yeah. And I, I'll never give it up. Never get rid of it. And, never. you know, when you see these big uh, Roman caches that are being found with all the Roman silver or even gold or um, the um, the hordes, the, um, oh, what are they called? The big hordes of uh, early uh, gold that's they are is they're found fairly common actually not like everybody finds one but you know one a year or something like that all that stuff it has to be turned over to the government so could you imagine going relic hunting and you find a three inch bandit Clovis and it's worth you know on the market let's say you were to sell it it's worth fifteen hundred bucks and the government says no you found it it's ours. We're going to give you 300 That's what could happen in this hobby. Or the other extreme is they just say, hey, you're not allowed to collect relics anymore. So then where are you at? Then it, then it's an underground thing. Well, and if other people have ruined it, then there's a point you, you almost have to just understand it. Yeah. So, so I mean, it, it's – I know we're talking one extreme to the other, but it just shows you what happens – I would pay to see Rex get told that. Oh, God. <laughs> I, d- I don't know what would be funnier. Uh, Rex's face getting told or the guy who gets told the, back from the, Rex? The react. <laughs> yes. The string of words he would put together. Oh, it'd be. Oh, it'd be great. Oh, Hulk smash, man. <laughs> Hulk smash. Jeez. So, <laughs> and like I said, we're talking about two extremes, and, and I don't think it will ever happen because... It's almost impossible to enforce, but it just shows what could happen. Let's keep the conversation from having to be necessary exactly. on that kind of level. And, and it could be other things where what we're seeing now is because of the disrespect shown, you know, we're seeing more involvement on on higher levels and, instead of, you know, a private level of collecting. Now, there's other things that bring that that into the forefront things like you know the internet and people posting collections and shows and stuff like that but still i mean it's out in the realm of possibilities so um now kind of moving on and kind of getting off that sour topic is to move into a good uh topic and that's information the most valuable thing in any hobby i don't care if you're collecting coins i don't care if you collect buttons off of a 1920s porcelain dolls the most valuable thing that you can bring to the table is information. And for me, there's three types of information. There's academic information, there's experience information, and then there is verbal information. Okay? Verbal information, working backwards here, is going to be the stories that you tell, the theories that you all bump around with each other. It, it's the, it's the uh, field-walking talks. You know, I always take buddies with me or try, and, you know, just the other day with Rachel with us, we would pick up something and have theories upon theories upon theories upon theories. And some of them right, some of them wrong, some of them are off the wall, but we had them. Yeah. And it opens up. Part of the fun. It's part of the fun, you know. Um, that, that, for me, is the f- most fun because everybody brings to a table a different experience, and We'll get Chris on here. I, I told him I wanted to have an episode on hammerstones. 
This man has found, has a site, and he has found more hammer stones than maybe in all of North America combined. I mean, there's just piles and piles of them. I, hammer yep. time. Yep. <laughs> you knew exactly. <laughs> I was like, well, we already have the title for that one. Let me scratch that. <laughs> we think too much alike. And so... Sitting with him, you know, rocks that I just throw over the hill, and then you start seeing witness marks and things like that. Uh, you realize that there were different levels of things, and, and because of his experience, he knows more than I thought to be imagined, but, you know, the level of knowledge is ever-expanding. And just having those, you know, talks with him is just ridiculous, crazy ridiculous. And so um, the verbal... Part of learning is one of my tr most treasured. Uh, it, it's just fun. You goof off. There's nothing. We sat up here the other day and drank beer and, and bullshit it for three hours yeah. and just had a great time. And learned. And learned. And from the very beginning, novice, all the way up to, you know, I, I don't consider myself an expert by no means, but I've been collecting and field walking since I was three, so that's 30 Three years, thirty-four years yeah. of walking tobacco fields. Well, and every every bit of that day, you know, we're not sharing uh, viral videos or, or exactly. talking about. So, I, so do do what you want to do. It's whatever you know. Exactly. You can have fun however you want, obviously. But we were in that mindset of learning and history and things like that. Mm -hmm. And what was so cool was even the the drive out to the county we were going to go hunting. We're talking about the the wilderness trail and how that tied into to groups and and when were there uh, people not nomadic and when did this happen and yeah and it was it was just no no so phones. entertaining yeah no phones no tickety talkities no YouTubies I mean we had Arthur who is an amazing musician and played in so many great bands and has has wrote so many amazing songs we never talked about music. And that's all me and you do is jam out to Alan Jackson. <laughs> I mean. It's because he's an angel. <laughs> <laughs> but, you, you know, all we talked about was history. That That's it. And theories and why this, why that. And and felt comfortable enough to ask questions. It was and great. Yeah. It was great. And so that's one level of learning. We also giggled a whole lot. There we we had a lot of fun. That was yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you know, in those conversations, you're bent over staring at the ground, and out we're talking, and uh, you know, you pull out the phone to do a video, and then you throw it back in the pocket, and one side of the field was kind of dry, not a lot of material, and so we're like, well, let's just go three quarters away and turn around. Well, we get talking, we look up, and we're at the end of the field. Yeah. Like, well, couldn't see the truck. Couldn't see the truck, <laughs> and then all of a sudden. Right there in the field, we're like, well, I guess we're not turning around. We'll just <laughs> keep on going. But um, then the next level of learning is definitely the um, well, that verbal talking leads to the experience, experience. that you're talking about. Yeah, yeah it's going to be the experience. Um, they're always be asking the questions of somebody who's a who's done something more, or has has specialized in something. Always be willing to ask questions. I love everything about this hobby. Love it. I love the good, the bad, the ugly, the indifferent. The one thing I love more than anything is going to Missouri. I got the chance to dig out Missouri uh, uh, and uh, uh, 
and got the chance to go to Texas, got the chance to go to Field, field Walk and, and uh, Creek Walk in Illinois. And the thing about it is I was always asking questions because it's something new, something different, something I haven't seen. Man, it you get done, you're like, can we go again? Can we go again? Can we go again? Yeah. So that's really, really fun for me. Now, when we get into the learning as far as reading and studying good information, bad information, um, good information and bad information can be construed both ways because when you get into publicly printed material, a lot of it is subjective to that person who wrote the book, the article, the essay, the the write-up online. It is subjective to their point and their stance and the point that they're trying to make. It's just like politics. It's whoever's writing, whoever's writing the article, the book, whatever, it's going to be from their point of view. And you might agree or disagree. Well, and some of those aren't peer-reviewed, and it's not, it's not the same. Mm-hmm requirements as something that we would call truly correct and so um the thing is is the experience behind it the um depth of knowledge the depth of understanding that is uh construed through the through the book or or portrayed through the writing or that information makes that person more or less credible a great example uh and he'll actually going to record with us next, the following week, and so two weeks from now, uh, my really good buddy Jim Bennett. So exciting. Yep, so he's going to call in on the phone, and uh, hopefully this summer he'll come down. He said he wanted to come down this summer and set in with us, so maybe we'll do two recordings with him, but he has published a ton of literature on how to spot fakes, identifying fakes, um, uh, books, uh, portray, uh, to projectile points, uh, collecting and all this, it takes him years to write a book because of the depth of uh, he goes into acquiring that knowledge. Huh. You know, knowledge in anything is personal experience plus gained experience, which is other people's experience. So he brings all that to the table, making that very credible. My my favorite thing about Bennett, and I'm sure we'll we'll – delve into it when he's here mm-hmm. as well the through even just he, he's very transparent even uh, through social media or, or or what he puts out publicly in general there, there is an allowance for change growth or yeah being wrong exactly he, he's come back out and said I, you know i thought this thing this seemed like this well it's not here's what i learned from it and i'll admit i'll admit that so that you all can learn, learn it from too. it and then move on so now we're we've all Grown together. Grown and gained. Just gained beat the microphone. Knowledge. We don't need it. I just, well, you don't need to gesticulate when you're <laughs> <laughs> just doing audio. Yeah. Here we're we over here. <laughs> we have spirit fingers throwing well, our we hands. We finally finished the coffee. It is Saturday morning. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, this is what we want to do. <laughs> this is what we want to do. So the, the other thing is, so you're going to have publicly printed books. A uh, thing like Bennett Book, uh, Mr. Laura Holtham, who has since passed. He had some great books out there that were targeted to projectile points, bone flint shell, uh, granite, uh, Midwest artifacts, things like that. Um, he he kind of started that trend of publicly, or not started the trend, but uh, the color, colorized, highly photographed uh, books. He kind of developed that a little further than what it was. Then you're going to have uh, historical hobby books, things like um, Prehistoric Man of Kentucky, 
Uh, I think that was, I forget who, uh, Bunkhauser, Webb, Moorhead, whoever it was. Um, and then uh, uh, you're going to have, you know, the Bannerstone book, Projectile Points, it was uh, the, which I called the White Book, which was put out by Tully. Uh, you're going to have all those collector printed books, and those are just a wealth of knowledge and pictures of points and things. All that is gain. And, and one of the things that I'm kind of bebopping around and, and how to approach is going to be the Overstreet book, the price guide. And the Overstreet book, uh, you know, Bob Overstreet started, I, I think we're on edition 14 or 15 now. Uh, which the last one was, you know, uh, Bennett and Cooper and uh, Matt Rowe put out. Um, that book is an amazing book when you're wanting to study typologies and base pricing and how to identify uh, when you want to study uh, a quick overview on flaking or uh, base styles or grinding and things like that. It gives you the base overview that you can then devil deeper and deeper into certain typologies. The one thing that I am kind of uh, disappointed, not in the book, but the way that people use the book, is no one reads the first 20 pages. They skip right to it to what my book, my point's worth. And the problem is, is they don't read that first 20 pages, which is, I think it's actually 30 pages, which is an absolute wealth of knowledge. And it talks about, you know, flaking and different flake patterns in overview, not in depth, but in overview to give you base information on, you know, what a lost lake should look like, what a dove should look like. It also tells you how to use the book, you know, not just this is the low value, this is the high value. Um, because that's a misrepresentation. Read those first 20, 30 pages. Um, that, that is a really good source of information in that book that is highly overlooked. If you want to know what 20 pages I'm looking about, it's the 20 pages that have the ruler on the side of, like, page 1 and 2, one in centimeters and one in uh, inches. So those are highly valuable. That's highly valuable information that's kind of overlooked. And um, the other thing and it's going to be the journals, all right? Uh, Stephen Cooper, down there, he's in North Carolina now. Uh, everybody knows Stephen from the shows. He does an amazing job along with uh, everybody else involved in the Central States Journal. It's, it's not an expensive thing. You get it, you know, four times a year. It is collectors throwing in, uh, doing articles, great pictures, great stories, great write-ups, it is an up-to-date information on what's going on in the hobby. Then, Prehistoric American. It is a great publication on just relics that are being found, plus stories and things of that of, you know, collectors. And I've been wrote up in both of them. I've got pictures, I don't know how many times, in both journals, uh, or the journal and in Prehistoric American. And you, you can submit stuff to those. They want your pictures. They want you to write stories. They want collector's input, like we do, like we're asking for. They want collector input, too. Uh, then another thing is all these journals that we're talking about. It could be uh, Prehistoric and American, Central States Journal, the old Redskin books. All those, if you can find them at shows, which you can, buy every copy. I mean, I have got piles and piles and shelves of books 
I've got a little building, little white shed outside my back, and there is literally stacks of books in the corner where I just read them, throw them out there, but I know if I need them, I have them. That information is amazing. It's first-town accounts. It's historical pictures. You might have a point that you bought that was pictured in the 1950s, and if you don't have the edi- you know, the editions or the books or stuff like that, that information's lost. So uh, I would say everybody who listens to this has at least one point in their collection that is pictured in a book that will never be found pictured in that book. The two lines will never cross again. It's lost to history. Guarantee it. I've got, I bet you there's 20 in mine. I, I, this is great. Um, uh, Colonel Vincent, his sales catalog. I went through his sales catalog, and it's just pictures of what's for sale. It is literally the auction catalog that they hardbound. Uh, I think his wife Vivian did it. If I think that was her name. Uh, made a hardbound book out of it. And I look, look down, I'm like, that looks familiar. And I go in my room, there's it on the wall. I never knew he owned it. Somebody had taken his number off the back of it. And so then, okay, here's this. I go a few more pages. There's a pipe. I'm like, I own that pipe. There it is. And so that information needs to be preserved and kept. And I think that's one of the most valuable uh, pieces. Now, archaeological journals, they're going to be very, very useful um, and highly respected. I think that... um, when you get into lithics, my personal belief is they can be a little skewed and political a little bit, but that's just me. Well, read read as much as you can then, and yeah. you'll have a better understanding. Yeah. Yep. And but uh, you know, site studies, all this stuff is available. Site studies where uh, you know you log into JSTOR, which is you know the uh, collegiate uh, paper source there for you know collegiate papers, and um, you can research this stuff. You want sites in your area, you can type in, you know, this site, you know, here in, in central Kentucky, you know, if I wanted to learn about Fox Fields up in Mason County, I there's studies on Fox Fields. I can learn, I can be a, a dangerous SOB with all the information I can learn <laughs> at the tip of my fingers. So information is highly important. The one thing that I do believe there's a lot out there of is disinformation, okay, in this hobby. Some people take opinions way too far. All right, and what I mean by that is I'm right, you're wrong. That's just nuts and bolts about it. Well, the Internet, uh, Arthur put it the best way. The Internet's a hell of a thing when you want to give something away for free. Mm-hmm. And That's, yeah. Yeah, and so uh, opinions are like assholes. Every one of them stinks, mine and yours. So it, it's just if somebody comes and they have a bunch of rocks and they tell you they're effigies of, you know, ancient starfish or whatever it is, just shake your head and move on. I mean, same thing goes with social media. A lot of disinformation on social media because everybody can type on their phone. So you, you've got to be very cautious in what you follow and what you believe, and you've got to read multiple, 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 multiple sources of information before you can draw your own collision. You know, if you're... That's why it's called an educated opinion and not just an opinion. Yeah, good point. Well, the educated part to me. <laughs> well, if, if you 
do research, ask multiple people, kind yeah. of fil- filter through what, filter what through might sure. be a personal bias. Yeah. That's, that's always going to be, you know, yeah, problematic. And you're, but you're exactly right. And um, with with the opinion thing, I, I guess what I'm saying without, let's say somebody throws an opinion up on social media on Fort Ancient use of pottery. And they're focusing on one thing. Then you go out and you, and you just take that information as the gospel. Well, if they're wrong, now you're spreading a gospel that's wrong. So then what you, what I do is, let's say somebody throws up an opinion or a theory or an idea that I haven't thought about or I haven't dabbled into. Let's say it's the duckhead effigies on Mississippian pottery. Then I'm like, okay, let me find an archaeological paper where they were found in situ, dug, and studied. Okay, found that. So who has, let me grab Hathcock's book and see some of the examples he has, if he had any. And then let me look at um, some sales, some auction reports where things have sold. It, I don't care about what they sold for. I want to see the examples. Okay, then I'm going to take that, and, I, and let's say there's a book wrote on Mississippian pottery. Okay, or or more archaeological papers or research papers. I gather my own information. I make my own conclusion. That that's how I do it. I, I could just be rambling, and that people don't have that much time in life. I understand. Well, what you're saying is, don't listen to me either. Yeah, yeah. I am literally telling you that the person in the room that talks the most is probably the stupidest one. Well, you're supposed to talk right now. Don't I worry. know. Yeah, no, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, as a beginning collector, you got to know that. Now, I'm going to throw a fifth point, and, and the next two points are going to be kind of uh, really fast. Um, and the last point, I know I said I was only going to do four, but I'm going to do five, right? Or three, or whatever I said. It don't matter. Mm-hmm. Four. Four. So, the fourth one is curation. You found your sites. You've studied your sites. Uh, you've done your research, you've got permission, you've checked local laws, you found a killer to you, just a killer Adina, a killer Fort Ancient, a, a lost lake, you know, an axe. How do you how do you curate them? How do you take care of them? Well, one of them is I've got people who, I don't wash my arrowheads. Well, that's fine. Soap and water ain't going to hurt flint. It's not going to do anything to it. And, and I really respect really well curated collections um a lot of my buddies they do amazing jobs curating collections uh i think a really nice frame a wood frame is one of the things that it's going to do two things it's going to highlight the pieces it's going to protect the pieces and you're going to be able to vertically display your pieces flint going to take up as much room as the pitcher of you and your kids on the wall. So, I mean... Choose, choose your priorities. <laughs> don't make me choose. I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, of course, of course. <laughs> I was given my own room. <laughs> um, so, you know, I all my frames, I am... Back up. I am very disorganized in life. How I remember to put socks on some mornings, I you can attest to. I, I can see one of them is inside out right They both now. are. Oh, God. <laughs> they match. I'm impressed. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, 
But when it comes to my arrowheads, all my frames are the same. They are all ambrosia maple. Everything, you know, I've got six months worth of catching up to do. But everything's numbered. Everything's organized. I mean, I might not be able to get out the door some mornings, but my arrowheads sure look good. <laughs> so, to me, they do, and that's all that matters. So, curation is, is, is key. Um, documentation. I love writing on rocks and saying, okay, uh, I, mine is my symbol is a B with an S attached to the base of it. And then it'll have a number, and that number tells me exactly where I found The number is wrote down, and then I write down the day I found it, who I was with, and the field that I found it in. Uh, you know, archaeologists want you to write down the GPS coordinates and GPS all that stuff in fields and creeks. It's all just a big wash. You know, it's a big wash. It's all moved. It's all moved. Um, and, and I respect that. I mean, I went to archaeology school. I, I understand. I respect that. But, you know, at least document the field they came from, uh, the year you found it. And I take it a little far. I tell, you know, who I was with and things like that. But uh, that information is highly valuable. One day we're not going to be here, and your family is going to want to get rid of those rocks or keep those rocks. If they keep them, they might be interested on where you were and what you found. If they sell them, the person who bought them, where you were and where you were, where they were found. So that information is highly, highly important. Um, digital copies is important, too. I think once you fill up a page of information, you know, what is it, 25 lines on a notebook piece of paper, once you get to number 25, just take a picture of it. Save it in your Google Photos, whatever you might need to do. Save it on your computer. Keep track of all that stuff so that uh, uh, further generations can respect it. I think uh, you, you'll get more appreciation out of it, too. Um, we, we were talking about this in the field, and I, I, I don't – my greatest gift in life, other than running my mouth, is if you show me an arrowhead that I found or that you found with me, it could be 15 years ago, I can tell you where we were, what we were doing, the whole nine yards, the field, I remember – how sunburnt you got, what the weather was like. I am itching to death. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I am crawling in my skin. Uh, but, you, you know, I can literally say, oh, that was found in the bend of this creek down on this farm. Um, or I can say, oh, that, that piece, you found that uh, on that backside of that field over there. I mean, uh, Casey found that, was showing, we were showing rocks off at the end of the hunt, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's that piece you found over on the ridge over there. And he looked at me like, how the how did you know mm -hmm. that? I just kept on going. But that's my greatest gift in life is I can remember rocks. Future generations won't. So when I get old and, you know. Well, you never know who's going to care about it. Yeah, you never Somebody know. you've talked to may well, not. Yeah, and there's going to be a come a time when I'm not going to be able to do that, right? I'm not going to be able to remember it. There's going to be lost to time. And being able to pass that information along is is important. So um, now the last thing, and this is going to be a quick topic. I'm going to have a full uh, episode on this, and I'll, I'll probably record this one this coming week. Is I've already thought about it, and Rachel can come up with her punny name. Is it's going to be the art of the deal, okay? With Native American relics, the pricing of Native American relics is highly subjective. It's not like coins. It's not like sports memorabilia. 
It's not like pop bottles, trading signs, Coca-Cola memorabilia. It's not like that because in any other hobby, there's always another one. Okay? If you've got the rarest Colt Navy from the 1860s, there's another Colt Navy out there that, you know, you might have a special one that has pearl handles or whatever, but there's another one out there. When you get to arrowheads, none of them are the same. Even if they were made by the same person and they're the same size, they'll have different colors, they'll have different flake patterns, different thicknesses, thinness. Then you get into different sizes. Every one of them is the same. In doing so, you cannot establish a in-stone pricing. It is subjective between two people, the person buying and the person selling. Now, you can get a frame of reference. Um, I've got a piece just uh, two day, three days ago. I thought it was worth 1500 bucks. The guy thought it was worth five. So it, it, it's a difference of opinions between the buyer and the seller, and we will dabble into that. Uh, where can you get that information? One of them is going to be auction results. There's tons of auction houses. Um, you can watch what's going on on the social medias. You can watch all of that to get a, a, a reference, okay? Uh, that information is easy. Now, price guides, the only thing with price guides that are in writing is that they're in writing, okay? They are a great reference tool, but the second that they are printed, they're out of date because this world uh, moves at the speed of the Internet. So that, you know, years ago, you could look up the price guide and go, this dovetail's worth close to this one. It's worth this. But now it could be worth more or less according to what's going on, what trends are, are going on. And social media is playing a hell of a, impact in the hobby right now where you know you got one guy who is collecting let's say blunts uh, it was last year or the year before somebody was collecting high-end blunts well i've got thousands of them that i've paid 50 cents to five dollars for and i could put them up and get 20 or 30 dollars for them because it was the hottest thing going right then there was a guy who was collecting harp the rivers through the roof absolutely through the roof um Harp the rivers. So um, it just depends on trends, and trends are set and broke just instantly, instantly. So um, that'll be fun to delve into a little bit more later. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a great episode uh, where we, we talk about everything under the sun um, and really dabble into the buying and the selling of this hobby. So uh, but, yeah, that kind of wraps it up for the day. That'll be exciting. I'm yep. already. Yep. So uh, we got a lot, of, that. a lot of information out there. Yeah. And um, so, again, thank you for letting me do this. And yeah. I hope uh, some information has been given. That's, uh, yeah, we're, we're really kind of figuring this out as we go, aren't mm -hmm. we? Yep. Uh, we're kind of casually talking. I'm hoping, you know, our, our goal is to get into maybe some deeper conversations mm -hmm. and Yep. I, I hope we still laugh during those. Yeah, you know, I, th I think it's so. It's kind of fun. Yeah, yeah, and we have um, uh, some great uh, things lined up 
I'm trying to record as many of these as I can before I get in the spring. That way uh, I don't have to worry about them down in the spring. They're already queued up. Yep. And uh, uh, we've got we, – we confirmed with Bennett, so we got him coming in. So excited. Yep. And, well, he's going to be on the phone, and maybe we get him in if we can get him down here in the summer. Um, and Y'all can definitely talk for two episodes. Yep. <laughs> I do know that I have uh, – uh, let's see – Seven collectors lined up to do our Hunter and Gatherer series. Perfect. I've got, uh, including Bennett, three authors. We've got uh, two archaeologists. We've got some people that people will know. And then we've got uh, one museum curator. So I'm trying to hit it from all sides. Uh, we've got guys to come in uh, and talk about lithics. We've got uh, to talk about the other side of it. Uh, the one thing... I am considering doing, and I'm letting people know this, is I, I would love, there, there's a lot of things going on with preservation right now, and and I'd love to get from the other side of the of, of the ball field, I guess you could say, but we'll, we'll figure that one out. Absolutely. I uh, do want to thank Ben in tech, uh, Tennessee for reaching out to us and uh, bringing up some cool points. I hope we end up getting to chat with you and uh, going over some of your really thoughtful questions. Uh, great ideas. Loving to hear he's he's 25 and just recently graduated and uh, uh, has some definitely fresh perspectives from that young age. And mm-hmm. I'm just really thankful that people are comfortable to reach out. And again, we love getting these questions. We'd love to hear some stories that yeah. you you let us read yeah, on here, even if it's off topic. Man, yeah. let's let's it's we're we're creating a, a, a the goal is to create an environment where we can all kind of talk Open. and. Open line of communication. Yeah. Tell good lies. Tell good lies. And you can reach (laughs) out to us. Um, I'll pass it out to uh, Rachel to do the outro today. And um, but uh, you can reach me directly through any of my social media with Bo Spicer. Yeah. You can find me on the Facebookers and the TikTokers and the YouTubers. We'll put the link in the. We'll, uh, we'll throw the links up, and then uh, uh, Rachel will give you the rest of the information in the outro. But again, thank you for letting me do this. It means the world to me. And as always, rock on. All right. As always, you can reach us uh, via email at flutedclovis at gmail.com. That'll be pretty direct way or through Spicer's Relics Facebook page. Thanks, everybody, for listening.